Well, you know, the dictionary actually defines the term uh, open one's big mouth. It says to say something that is meant to be a secret, to say something in an indiscreet, noisy, or boorish manner. Boorish. That's a good word. It's like when I was texting Pete Miller, and uh, it's the word churlish. It means rude, nasty, and mean. And I, I, we were driving up to a conference in Portland, and I texted him. I said, you know, don't, don't be behaving in a churlish manner. And so he and Amy had to look it up. And so now if, if you hear someone at Joy call another person a churl, that's not like, like you know, you're a knight or a churl or a earl or a... And I think boorish, to be boorish is uh, similar, kind of rude, intrusive. So you can open your mouth and you can say things that are, <laughs> that are meant to be secret. They can be indiscreet, noisy, or boorish, boorish manner. For exa- example, a girl could say, why did you have to open your big mouth about my crush on Paul? Why couldn't you just keep it between us? Last service was Percy. Sorry, Johnny, it won't, it won't hit you. We'll be done with the series. Okay, another one that I get in trouble for is, why couldn't you just keep it, uh, the surprise birthday, a surprise? You blew it when you opened your big mouth. I've done that. Is anyone else like me, you get excited about something that's really cool coming up for somebody, and you get really hyper about it, and you blow the, you blow the cover? Something good's going to happen to you today, honey. It's really going to be fun, 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 fun. She goes, you're weird. Oh, what is it? Nothing. Then you give it away because you're too excited. That's me. We see that having a big mouth is an idiom or figure of speech about using your mouth to utter things that are inappropriate, unwise, sometimes expensive, and in some cases, dangerous. Back in World War II, they had a saying, and that is that loose Lips sink ships. They had to be very, very careful about any kind of a press release. And, and so uh, it really works in regular life that some people are very careful in what they say and other people are careless with what they say. And words can actually be a lot stronger than sticks and stones. I remember the little saying, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Well, in my life, I've had a lot more beatings with words than I ever have with sticks and stones, you know? And, and if someone chucks a rock, you know, we did that as kids, the neighbor kids and I, and we'd throw rocks at each other, and, I mean, in fun, and, uh, and they would be painful. You know, if you got hit in the head with a rock or a walnut or... I grew up in Ashland, and we used to throw black walnuts. They're all over the city, and they were great. They're almost like a, like a miniature form of a good rock. And so I've had many of them hit me. But they never hurt as bad as words. When someone that you care about says something that's cruel, or you're betrayed by words, and it can be dangerous. Uh, it can, we can get in trouble with our big mouth by saying silly things like... Uh, you know, goofy stuff about one another. But there are also things that are much more evil, like lying, slander, gossip, perjury. These are flat-out dangerous to oneself or to others. Today we're going to do a case study of a guy that tended to have a great problem with his mouth, and that's the Apostle Peter. As we go through some of the accounts in Peter's life, this is meant to make you feel better about yourself. This reminds me of the time my younger brother looked at the clothing I was wearing and he said, the way you dress is good for my ego. (laughs) Okay, well, anything to build you up. And sometimes when we hear about someone else getting in trouble with their mouth, it helps us to say, you know, I'm not the only one on the globe that has to deal with this. That's one of the things that, that is so crazy that comes in our minds that we're the only one. 
We're the only one that's experienced loneliness. We're the only one that's ever been betrayed. We're the only one that faces financial trouble. We're the only one who faces relational difficulties. We're not the only one. There's been a recruiting crew of people since Adam and Eve, of people that say bad things, think dumb things, do dumb things. We are all bozos in the boat. At Joy, one of our, our key values is let's put f uh, fun back into the dysfunction we're coming out of. At least while we're changing, let's have an ability to laugh at it or maybe have a good cry about it. But let's not ignore things in our life that can be a problem or things that we've done or said to others and just let them lie. Let them work like a cancer in the mind and heart of someone. I think going back and making things right are, is very important to, to make sure that, that everybody's good. And in some cases, not everyone is willing to be good. There are people who get offended and, and they never get over it or they choose not to. But we want to make sure that we are people who use our lips wisely and if we do offend and we do hurt, we want to be people that get in rapidly, make it right, and move on so we can build together and have a great life. Peter's mouth would, uh, or Peter's mouth was a tool whereby he would utter truth and then he would utter ridiculous stuff that would get him in trouble. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 23, was a really unique time for the history of, of the Church of Jesus Christ and also for the, the life of Peter, the apostle. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. You may say, well, John the Baptist, why would they think Jesus was John the Baptist? Well, because uh, John the Baptist had been put to death and not everybody had seen that John the Baptist and Jesus were actually together in, in, in a scene or so. And so, in fact, uh, really, we only see one known time where Jesus and John the Baptist were together as adults, and that was at the baptism. So, so a lot of people wouldn't have been there to have seen them together. So when they heard the amazing stories of John the Baptist and how powerful he was and drawing these huge crowds at the Jordan River, then all of a sudden up pops Jesus, and they think this could be an incarnation or reincarnation of John the Baptist. And so some are saying he's Elijah, some say John the Baptist, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he, Jesus, asked them, let me just say this, if you want to help people grow up like Jesus helped people grow up, don't yap at them, dialogue with them. I'm a total expert on my opinion. I'm a total expert on what I think I know. I am a very, very novice in knowing what you know. If I'm going to help us grow together, I need to do like Jesus did. Who Jesus was the greatest um, uh, dialogue. Uh, he would, he would, uh, he would interview people. He was better than than Larry King. If you ever saw Larry King years ago. Larry King was, had a great program on, on radio where he would interview people and he would ask questions and Jesus would have been great as a radio talk show host because he was the best at saying, I already know what, what I know. I want to know what you think. If I'm going to get you from where you're at to where you need to be, I've got to get you to confess what you believe so we can grow together. And so he's asking these disciples, he said, okay, who do men say that I am? And so they're offering these three or four different suggestions, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or maybe another prophet reincarnated. But then he goes, then he asks them, but who do you say I am? This is a classic question that every believer has to review in their mind. Who is Jesus of Nazareth to you? And that's not parroting back what, what we heard in Sunday school years ago. We all know the Sunday school answers. I want to know who do you say Jesus is? And Peter is going to come out with it and he is going to verbally hit a home run because he, he caught 
the mind of the Spirit about this, and he says this, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, the word Messiah and the word Christ are the same meanings. They just mean the anointed one of God or the smeared one, that the anointing oil was put on the head of this one. This is the one selected to be the Son of God, who's going to be this great ruler of Israel. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. At this point, Peter's use of his tongue is good. I put four asterisks in my notes besides the word good. Peter's good at this point. How many of you know good, like a roller coaster, means you're up at the top. Now comes the screaming. Ah! As you go down. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. I could just see Peter. He's going, dude, I'm qualified to be the spokesman for these other guys. They're ditzy, man. (laughs) Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. Peter's going, I think he's saying I'm a rock star. Jesus is thinking, no, you will be, but not yet. We got some tongue training, training, some thinking training, some experience walking before you get to be all this. Jesus is prophesying. I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, the rock of the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the hope of the world, upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now he's talking directly to Peter. By extension, all believers have been given the keys of the kingdom. But he's directly offering the initial offering right to Peter. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples. Now, you notice there's no break here. From verse 20 to 21, there's not any break. We keep going on in the dialogue. So so the, the last thing was Peter was told he got to hold the keys. Jesus is saying he's going to build his church. And so Peter is thinking, wow, just like I've imagined this thing's going to play out. Because the Jews had fantasies about what Messiah would do. They thought he was going to come in as a political, spiritual, political leader, and they were going to smoke every enemy, and the great golden reign of Israel would, would rise to never be diminished for the rest of time. So he's thinking his thoughts, not knowing Father God's thoughts towards Jesus. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly, that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer. Reigning in power and glory is different than suffering. Jesus said he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. In my notes, I put bad with four asterisks. Peter is fixing to oppose the will of Father in Jesus' life. Watch this. We can can do great things with our lips, edifying people, witnessing, bringing people to Jesus, and then we can be the same person that becomes the mouthpiece for Satan. That's why... Pastor James, the Lord's brother, said, hey, how is it? Can out of the same fountain come bitter and sweet water? How can with your mouth you bless God, but with your same mouth you curse man? How do you know we need to line up and and get get it straight? Sweet water all the time. Verse 22, but Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. Now think about this. We're only looking at, what, seven or eight verses? 
maybe even less than that, where he's called Rocky. Dun 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 dun. Hey Rocky. Hey Satan. Now this person's a bad guy. What? You saw a person on a bad day and they were a bad guy on a bad day. But a regular guy on a bad day doesn't necessarily make a bad man. Or a good man on a bad day doesn't make a bad man. And a bad man on a good day doesn't make him a good man. How many of you know that it's the prevailing wind in our life? That the good man out of the good treasure of his heart will start to bring forth good things all the time. And the evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart, even if he, has, he tries to fake being good, will continue to bring forth bad things. And so that's why Jesus trying to train this guy about tongue and lip and mind management calls, says, you're dangerous to me. Satan, you're prophesying through my friend's mouth. Get behind me, Satan. Just thinking about the lady that her husband was trying to get her to quit shopping all the time. And uh, he told her, he said, honey, when you go to the store and go to Macy's or Nordstrom's and you see that cool dress and you try it on, that's Satan tempting you. <laughs> Just tell him to get behind you and rebuke him. So she said, no problem, honey. This sounds a lot like my marriage. No, she's, she's on sale. She comes back wearing this beautiful dress. Honey, what happened? Well, I did what you said. I went to the store and I put it on and the attendant was there. Said I look good. I went to the mirror by myself. I looked in and Satan said, you look pretty hot. And I told him, get thee behind me. And he said, you look hot there too. <laughs> so I went ahead and bought that. <laughs> so girls, if you're fighting that shopping sensation, just tell them, get out of here. Don't talk about how good I look anywhere. Okay. Jesus is commending the guy for revelation and then he's taking him down for coming across from a human perspective. Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Wow. If you're going to really use your tongue well, you're going to have to just quit yapping from stream of consciousness. It just came to my mind to say this. No. We're going to find later that just because you have a mouth doesn't mean you have to use it. Many, many people have a hunting rifle. Please don't shoot it in downtown Medford. Well, I got a gun. I guess I need to just shoot it. Well, we have to be careful with what we do. Now we go to number two, which is Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he takes with him Peter, James, and John in Mark chapter 9, verse 2 and following. It says, six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. There's three of them, not just one. And led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed. And his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Okay, I don't know about you, but I've gone to a lot of places, never had Moses and Elijah show up. I grew up in Ashland and I saw many people that looked like Moses and Elijah, <laughs> especially in the 60s and 70s. But I never had Moses and Elijah show up. Here's Jesus, and he is going to have an encounter with people who... Cheated death. Elijah was taken in a chariot of fire. The Bible tells that, that I, one of the angels, I think it was Michael, contended for the body of, of Moses. And so I believe that there was a resurrection. And, the, and uh, Moses, what didn't mold in the grave because he was taken. Because he's, he's showing up here. 
These two great witnesses, these two great witnesses that we see here with Jesus here, we see two great witnesses who do the kind of works that Moses and Elijah do show up again in the book of Revelation. This is an awesome time that Father was trying to communicate through this man who was going to take on the sins of the world and strengthen him through two home run hitters. This wasn't time for Chatty Cathy to show up and out of nervousness try to control the event. <laughs> then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed. Now, exclaiming is different than, I was just wondering if I could offer a suggestion. Exclaiming is like, hey guys, let's stop everything. I've got a plan. That, that's an exclamation. It's like, you know, standing up in the middle of Applebee's and, 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 and trying to control the whole thing. Like, I'm going to have dinner. Could we all listen while I offer my thanks to my Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, for my food? Oh my gosh, I, I've gone with people like that. I want to kill them. I want them to suffer for doing that. How many of you know your faith is precious? Don't be a bozo and make a scene. And here's Peter and he's going to exclaim, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. That's why the Father scheduled it. Peter, you're the observer, not the controller. Am I okay? You don't have to just be nice. I mean, sometimes I think reading the Bible, I feel... nervous about it you read things and you go what are you doing here you know what I hate about it most I've done these things let's make three shelters as memorials one for you one for Moses and one for Elijah Verse 6 gives an exclamation to his psychotic behavior. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say. For they were all terrified. What was John doing? What was James doing? They're like, I don't even know what the three of us are here for. But not Peter. Oh, Lord Jesus. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him, not Peter. Okay, this is the second time Peter is getting rebuked by two-thirds of the Trinity. He got rebuked in Matthew 16 by Jesus. He's getting rebuked by the Father. Later on, we're going to find he got convicted by the Holy Spirit. Everybody's been jumping Peter to bring mouth change. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and only Jesus was with them. Peter, from nervousness, was trying to control the event. Father's God's voice from heaven had to restrain him. Then finally, at the Last Supper, in Matthew chapter 26, on the way, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. And that doesn't mean go get, like, cake and pies and things. You're going to bail on me. For the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Uh-oh, Peter's at it again. Now he's going to overcommit. Peter declared, if, even if everyone else desert, deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus tries to gently correct him. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, not like in four years, but tonight, this very night, before the rooster you know, goes, cock-a-doodle-doo, Pete, you will deny me three times that you even know me. That was a good time to say, Lord, forgive me. I've learned something about this. Jesus is the number one 
expert on Jesus' opinion and what's up. Whenever the Holy Spirit's trying to talk to me, I know no, one thing. My opinion needs to be set aside. Different times, the Holy Spirit's come to me and said, do you like yourself? I know that part of us in the conversation don't like me. Not a good time to say, I really do. What am I doing wrong, Lord? What am I saying wrong? What am I thinking wrong? Not like, hey, if I just filibuster and I talk so fast and I act like, like Jojo the idiot circus boy and I'm just like controlling the things and I just keep talking and don't let anybody talk because, you know, I'm so nervous I got to control this thing. It doesn't move God. He waits till the yapping stops and then he goes, now let's continue the conversation. And so Peter is saying, if everybody deserts you, I'll never desert you. Jesus said, no, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Now, Peter doubles down on his overconfidence. <laughs> no, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. They all said, no, we're, we're with you, man. We'll lay our life down for you. We know that he did deny Jesus. And we also know that, in fact, he was later restored by the healing words of Jesus, as recorded in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. Tender words restore. Okay? Isn't it interesting that in the year that King Uzziah died, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah said that he was given this vision of the throne of heaven. And he saw the, the cherubim circling the throne, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. They were saying that, holy, holy is the Lord. And what was Isaiah's revelation of himself? I am a man of unclean lips, dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips. There's something about it that one of the first things that God wants to do <laughs> is put a coal of fire on your lips. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In fact, that's so funny to me, you know. The Lord says, I'm going to touch your mouth with fire. You know, Whoa, I'm glad you explained it, you know. Healing words can help a person get back on, tra on track after they've really flubbed up with their words. There's nothing, you know, over the years I've had situations where someone will throw a few bombs as they leave joy. And... And, and so many times, they'll knock right on my door. Pastor Steve, I was bad. I said a lot of bad things about joy. Can I come back? Sure. You can. Are we okay over the last problem? Feel good okay? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what was wrong with me then. No, I don't know, but I do know that Jesus loves you. Why don't you go to the table... We still have your spot at the oak table with your name carved in the back. Let's have a meal together. Let's just move on. Well, don't you want to like really correct me? I don't know, you're crying. Should I slap you, call you Myrtle? What do you want me to do? Just come home. Jesus had tender words. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Here's a guy that feels so destroyed and devastated by his own big mouth. And Jesus is just saying, hey, I still want you on the team. How many have had people minister tender words to you when you were just devastated by circumstances? Maybe things that others did to you. Maybe things that you did to yourself. I believe this is a very gracious church. I'm going to just give you an opinion about you. I think for a group of people, you're quite gracious. 
I think you love people. I think you let people off the hook when they fall. Because sometimes the runner stumbles. One of the reasons I want to be gracious with my words is what happens if I stumble? You who are spiritual, restore the fallen one with meekness. Jesus did that to Peter. Peter did learn to use his mouth positively to build Christ's church and preach the good news of Jesus and his wonders. In Acts 2, he spoke concerning God fulfilling Joel 2 and pouring out his spirit on sons and daughters. This led to 3,000 people, primarily Jewish, coming to Christ on that day. In Acts 10, he preached to Gentiles and they received Christ and began to speak in tongues and magnify God. He literally fulfilled what God saw in his life. When you and I flub up, we've got to remember that somebody's mouth spoke good over us and it was our Father and He's given us a destiny. And the gifts and callings of God are without recall. They're without repentance. God still wants to perform that purpose in you. He still wants to speak good words. And Peter was an example of a guy that he was given the key. And on that day, he didn't stand up nervously speaking out of his own mind. But out of brokenness, he was able to declare the glory of God. And for the rest of his life, he did his best to speak what he heard the Father speak and to do what he was told to do. And at the day of his death, when they were trying to crucify him, he said, I only ask one favor. If you're going to crucify me, I want you to turn me upside down. I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Lord was. That guy with his big fat mouth began to use his mouth positively to do great things. Can we give old Peter a clap today? The big fat mouth guy became a true rock star. That's who he looks, that's who I think of Peter. I get a chuckle out of being told by God and Jesus and the whole Trinity to shut up. I've been told by a number of people that myself. So there's hope for us. God can help us with restraint and wise use of our tongues. What do we do when we get in trouble with our big fat mouth? I'm going to share a story of how I dug myself in deep. But first of all, we're going to look at this. One, we need to avoid some temptations. Thank you, Natalie Amen, for some of your notes that you helped me with. This is from Natalie. So if they're good, they're Natalie's. If they're bad, they're Natalie's. Okay. <laughs> Number one is to lie and deny what you've said versus just fessing. There was about a year that, that my pastor and was in Oakland, California. It was Pastor Dave Kitely at Shiloh Christian Fellowship. And that's where I went to church on, was God was sending me to the Bay Area, gonna connect me with, with my love, Kim, and we're gonna be married. And so I love Shiloh. Shiloh is a, is a multi-ethnic blended church, red hot worship, wonderful, powerful church in the Bay Area. In fact, when, Governor Jerry Brown was mayor of Oakland. He, he gave a million dollars a year for several years for Shiloh to distribute to the poor in, in the city. Pastor David became the senior pastor. His mom had founded the church, and she's a wonderful prophetess of God. I love David. He's one of my favorite preachers, one of the greatest guys in the world. And I was going to find that I said some really stupid things. And I got in big trouble with my big, fat mouth. Kim and I were planting joy and up here in Medford. And so we were exhausted. We called my in-laws who were living in San Jose. And we said, hey, we want to come. We want to come and just crash on, a, on, a, on, you know, on the couch. I mean, we'd have a bedroom. But, you know, during the day, just recline, eat, eat pasta and Italian food and just hang with you guys. 
I made a point, please don't let any of our friends from the church know we're in town or they want to hang out and we really need some rest. Okay, okay. All of a sudden, we find out when we get there, one of our friends with the initial M was there and he was going through a bitter divorce. And we're exhausted. We're sitting there drinking coffee when I shouldn't have been involved. And all of a sudden, he's talking about how the church wasn't helping cure this divorce problem. And, and all of a sudden, just like this demonic rage came on me. And I go, Pastor Dave's a wimp pastor. Shiloh's a wimp church. Whips. Have you ever had that? And the more demonic it is, the more you won't stop. This isn't a story that I read out of a book. I'm telling you what I really did. Because we don't live our lives in theoretical. We live our lives in real time. And in real time, I was going to hit a crossroads. And so after I consoled <laughs> M in a weird way, he drove off and he calls my friend. Pastor Dave, Steve said this. Okay, it's late at night by then. Kim and I are in this nice room, nice, restful bed. Eh. If you hadn't just been baptized in manure, it probably would have been a great place. But that night, I was tormented by what I'd said. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, forgive me. Lord, if you opened up the gate to hell and dropped me in without any hope of eternal life, I've earned that. I'm a moron. What's wrong with me? Oh, God. And why did they let this guy come? You know. So I hardly slept at all. About 7.30 in the morning, that was back when we didn't have cell phones. We didn't even have those big kind that looked like a refrigerator stuck up against your head. <laughs> My mother-in-law comes up and goes, Steve, there's a phone call for you. And I knew. And it felt like the March of the Emperor. And uh, Darth Vader has to answer the phone. On the line. Steve, this is Dave. I love you. M came and called me last night and said, you said this, 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 this. And all of a sudden, all of that squirrely thing, as a son of Adam, deny fig leaves, prevaricate, obfuscate. Go like JoJo and keep talking like this. Keep talking and filibuster till the guy hangs up out of exhaustion. Or tell the truth. Holy Spirit said, this is a watershed point in your ministry. Covered up and lie, and that's the trajectory of your leadership style. Tell the truth and walk in freedom. I go, Pastor Dave... I did it. I said that. Oh, gosh. I said, Kim and I came to San Jose. We were exhausted, and M came by, and he was laying his burden on us, and I just went crazy, and I blamed the church, and I blamed you, and I'm so sorry. He goes, no problem. I'm always in trouble with my mouth. seemed like every other year at our national convention, they'd have Dave speaking and they'd fire him because he was so outspoken. And then the, the, but we all loved him and we wanted to hear him and they'd have him back and he'd... But see, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. I was still beating myself up over what I had said and done. So for two years, when I went to our national convention in, in Portland, I'd hide from Dave. I mean, here's a 285-pound guy trying to be camouflaged by 120-pound women. You know. Let's go, hon. Two years, I successfully avoided him. 
The third year, I feel a hand on my shoulder. Here's Dave. Steve, so good to see you. Dave, I'm still torn up about what I did. Oh, that stupid stuff you did with your mouth? I'm always in trouble with my mouth. You're forgiven. Really? Really. Okay. Dave's son, Patrick Kitely, he preached our youth camp a couple years ago. I call David. Fellowship restored. Because I had an opportunity to cover up or lie or just tell the truth. We're at the end of our time, and I beg forbearance to just finish my notes here really quickly. But I believe there's, this is a Kairos moment for a lot of you. We live in a, gen a generation. We're watching it even played out. Political stuff. Lies, lies. So many lies. People are really confused. They're, they're waiting for leadership. That just tells the truth. I'm going to give you a huge key to your marriage. Don't lie. If you're doing crap you'd lie about, stop it. If I'm going to be tempted to lie about what I'm looking at at the internet, stop it. And then if someone asks me, how's your thought life? It's been good. How's your computer use? It's been clean. It's been pure. And if it hasn't been, there's a way to not lie and say, you know what? It's not as good as I would like, and I don't want to talk about it. And then people will make their own conclusions. But let me tell you something. Just as it was for me, a watershed moment, it is for you. If you start lying, where does it stop? So that's a huge key. Thank you, Natalie, for putting it there. Do not lie and deny what you said. Number two, to avoid the temptation to not say you're sorry and make it right. We've all said stupid stuff. Well, I guess I did, and maybe people up in Josephine County, but not you guys, right? How many have said stupid stuff? Okay. How many of you are pre prepared to hear people say they're sorry? Okay. Before you come up and tell me you've hated me for eight years, don't. don't that won't bless me. Act like you've loved me. But if you've been telling everybody in the county you've hated me for eight years, and you think I might know that, you could come up and say, hey, you know, there are things I said over the years, da, da, da. Then, then that's fine. And I'm going to go like this. No problem. Dave Kitely and I, we've said stupid things with our mouth. Hello? You're going to be forgiven. Avoid the temptation to keep talking and expand the problem. The more you try to cover up some, you know the people, you know I had too much sugar and I, it was a Snickers bar that made me say those really bad things. No. Because some people eat Snickers and say nice things. How about avoid the temptation to then turn it on the person and criticize the individual you've offended. Well, you're not perfect. You say some stupid stuff. No, that's deflecting. Just own it. And that's the next point. Own your responsibility for what you say. Just because you have a mouth doesn't mean you have to use it. Use it carefully. Just because you have fingers doesn't mean you need to type on Facebook. Bunch of silly stuff. Hello? Okay. Before you open your mouth, engage brain. This is used as a joke, but it's actually quite true. Think through the impact of what you're saying. And understand, or if you boo-boo, then quickly make it right. If you make a mistake, make it right quickly. There have been times that I've offered opinions and I call someone back and say, you know what, you know, I spoke to you yesterday about this situation. Guess what? I got to information. That's not even true. How many of you know that sometimes we need to go back on conversations and, and edit them? We, we learn something, and it, and it improves the position. Um, there can be, understand that there can be broken trust, and only good behavior and time can restore it. 
If you violated someone and they're, they're not easy to forgive you, you can't go, well, I asked forgiveness and you're supposed to forgive me. The Bible teaches that. That's not going to move them. Let time and your good behavior. How about saying, you know what, I know I've, I violated your trust and, and, and I don't know that I can ever expect you to trust me again. But if you do peek over your shoulder and watch me, you're going to see me not doing that for the rest of my life. Trying to live in a, such a way that's honorable to you and to God. Truthful lips are only assured if you speak the truth in your heart. Please stand with me. Who can worship in the holy hill of God? Who can enter his presence on that holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. As we wrap this up, you may say, that must have been kind of a painful bad day. That day in San Jose, when you said those bad things. That must have been a bad day the next day when you're called up and you had to own up. Must have been a bad day. I wanna tell you something. In results, that was one of the best days of my life. Because I can look in the mirror after that day and say, I will be responsible for the things I say. I will be responsible. I will get on my hands and knees and beg a person to forgive me if I've hurt them with my lips. That wasn't a bad day. It was a divine encounter. Right now, I believe some of you are having an encounter with God. He wants to change your destiny into a destiny of some of being someone who with truthful lips can be relied on not only by others around you but by God himself do you realize that it was my father in heaven who wanted to see in, a, in an actual real-time stress test he wanted that son from Edford in an exhausted manner to feel so low and feel so tempted to obfuscate or prevaricate or do something else. And when that kid from Medford in his late 20s stood up and said, no, it was me. I'm the man. I'm the one that said that garbage. God said, okay, son, I can give you promotion. What would have happened had that been an encounter from God and I, I went ahead and lied? I don't think the Lord would have forsaken me. But I think the trajectory of influence would have gone greatly down. How do you say, I want God to find my lips faithful. I want my words to be faithful and true. How, how many, look, look at all this group around us, a couple hundred of us right now in this room. What would happen if every one of us made a pledge to really watch what we say and do? To really speak the truth in our hearts and then graciously say, Holy Spirit, let the fruit of your spirit help me in what I say to others. What, what, that, I think that would expand true Christianity in our valley. Amazing way. The world's looking. They, 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 they get lied on all the time. And they're looking for a community where they don't lie. Could, could that be us? I think Jesus wants it to be us. But it's going to take some integrity to say, I've got some work to do on what I do with my mouth. Right now, I'd like us to bow our, our head. And if everyone had closed your eyes, uh, every week we give an opportunity for people to join the kingdom of God. We call that coming to Jesus or getting saved. Basically summed up, it kind of looks like this, that just because you're born as a human doesn't mean you're born of God. You must be born again. You must have that encounter with God where you know that he's the only one that can take away your sins. He's the only one that can change you from just 
temporary patches and fixes, but come inside and give you a new heart and a new spirit and a new motivation and a new drive. Jesus said that in John 6. He said, you must be born again. Nicodemus said, how can I? How can I enter into my mother's womb? He said, no, no, no. This is a spiritual birth. It's different than natural birth. I believe that there are a number of people that came here today and you say, I need to be a part of the family of God. I want to have the Holy Spirit, the coach, live inside of me. So I can think about what I say. I can think about what I do. I can, I can actually get a new code of thought implanted in me. The Bible tells us that we receive a new nature when we receive Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit, which is a complete new groovy nature in our DNA then. We have to then surrender to that new nature. But you're born of God. You're no longer just born of Adam. You're born of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and say, you know what, Pastor, as everyone's given me the privacy, I just want to raise my hand and say, hey, I want in. I want God. I want every one of you that are here and you'd like to receive Jesus. We're not going to embarrass you, but could you raise your hand and just wave it so I can see it? We can acknowledge you're here and say, hey, I want in, man. I want God in my life. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Get your hand up if that's you. I want to, and if, if uh, my guys can tell me, Hallelujah, I see that hand. I see another hand. There are people here lifting your hands to be followers of Jesus Christ. So just pray this prayer. We're all going to pray it. If you pray this with sincerity, the Bible said you will be born of God. Just pray this prayer. Dear Father, I need you. I need family. There's no greater family than Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and your believers. Thank you, Father, that you've loved me, that you've given away of provision so that I can become your child and a follower of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you sent the Son to take away the sins of the world, including mine. You said that I needed to call on your name. And if I would call on your name, I would be saved. I'm calling right now. Save me, Father, from my sins. You also said, if I would call on your name, I would not be ashamed. I have shame in my life, things that I've said, things that I've done that I cannot defend. I need forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. I'm calling on your name. Take away my shame. I believe you, Lord. I believe that you've raised Jesus from the dead. And I believe today I'm becoming a child of God. If you'll be my father, I'll be your child. If you'll be my God, I'll be your servant. I receive you today, dear Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.